Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Today I want to talk about food. I've never preached on food before. Now, like, I've preached on the Lord's table, preached on Passover, we've talked about some of the Jewish festivals, we talk about food, but I've never preached just solely about food, so I thought, now's the time. We finished our series on family, we don't start our Christmas series for another two weeks, we have cafe today, you're probably looking ahead to all the Christmas goodies that you're excited for, we just came out of Thanksgiving, food. We should talk about food, shouldn't we? Because here's the thing about the truth that we preach. We preach Christ crucified. We preach the good news of Jesus' death, resurrection, rule, and reign. We preach salvation through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. But that gospel message, that good news that we preach trickles into and has implications in every area of our life, no matter, how, no matter how insignificant they might be. The gospel impacts every area of our life. It's not just a compartmentalized faith that we keep over here for Sundays between 10.30 and 12, or if there's cafe, we'll stay till 12.30, and that's our Christian experience. No, the gospel trickles into every part of our life, how we give, how we serve, how we prioritize, how we treat our family and our neighbors, how we live our life is impacted by the gospel that we believe. Amen? So food should be too, shouldn't it? All right. I can tell you're thinking, where where are we going with this? Uh, Exodus chapter 16, if you would turn there. This is the passage we're going to be camping out on today. I would encourage you to turn there and stay there. We're going to look at other scriptures, but we're going to come back to Exodus 16. It's our pivoting text for today. In Exodus 16, the Hebrew people are in the wilderness. They've just been delivered out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. You have the 10 plagues. You have the Passover lamb. You have the crossing through the Red Sea. Here they are in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 16. Are you there? Let's pray before we go any further. Would you join me as we pray? God, I want to thank you so much for this time we get to spend together as a church family. God, thank you for being a part of the fellowship and getting to attend the national conference. Thank you for what our church association, what what over 500 like-minded churches partnered together are accomplishing by your grace and through your power around the world and in our country here at home. God, we pray for those hundreds of thousands of people in the Middle East who are not only affected by imprisonment, but they're also being affected by the the ministry of the gospel. We thank you for the Karkafis. We thank you for the missionaries who are serving there. We thank you for the children's home in Honduras that we get to serve and be a part of and provide for. We thank you for Melody and for her ministry there. We pray for the missions team as they prepare to go in January. Uh, God, we thank you for food. Something so basic that we enjoy every day, but we want to have your mindset when it comes to food. We want to understand that every good and perfect gift is straight from your hand. You are the provider. 
And ultimately, any food that we have to be thankful for is only because you've blessed us with it in the first place. So it comes back to giving and generosity. God, we thank you for these things. Would you guide and direct our thoughts as we dig into Exodus 16 this morning, Father? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Exodus 16, verse 2. 400 years of slavery in Egypt, they're just delivered. You'd think they'd be happy, right? But you probably heard the story enough if you've been connected to church long enough that they weren't that happy. Verse 2. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. I've never experienced that as a leader in a church. To have the whole... Now, I've had pockets of the congregation be frustrated and grumbling and have to speak to those things and, and usually say that I'm sorry because it was my fault, but the whole congregation of people are grumbling. Verse 3. The people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots. I just picture like a Viking camp where there's that big cauldron over the fire, the meat pot. Do you have a meat pot at home? Men, do you do all your cooking in a meat pot? My dad could make pancakes growing up. He could make pancakes and stew. And he had a meat pot. He's still got that same meat pot today, I think. It was good stew. Sat by the meat pots. We ate bread to the full. And you've brought us out here to the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Do you ever get hangry? I get hangry. I'm ashamed to admit how much food controls my emotions. (laughs) We're going to talk about that today. Comfort food. Right? That pint of Ben and Jerry's. For me, it's the salty snacks. I don't go for the sweet treats. I go for the popcorn or the Doritos at the end of the night. You know, just because I need that to relax. You know what I'm saying? Hangry. Do you have a kid at home who's constantly saying, I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. I'm starving. (laughs) Maybe a few in the room this morning. The people didn't have many positive memories of slavery in Egypt. That just makes sense. But apparently food was one of the positive memories that they took from Egypt. Memory and food go hand in hand, don't they? Because memory is like a, sorry, food is like a complete sensory experience. You can taste it. You can touch it. You can smell it. You can see it. You can hear that bacon sizzling in the frying pan, right? Food is memorable. Isn't that why the Passover meal was instituted to remember God's deliverance. And then Jesus says, this is now the Lord's table, a new covenant in my blood. He says, the broken bread and the wine represent the broken body and the shed blood as a way to remember the Lord's death, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Food is a memory thing. It's connected deep into our emotions and memories. The people remembered the menu in Egypt. Numbers chapter 11 is a mirror passage of what we're reading in Exodus. Verse 5 of Numbers 11 says, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt. I've had some bad fish in my day and I remember it. That cost nothing. Free food. Who doesn't like free food? We got free food in the cafe right after the service. We would love to have you come. The cucumbers, the melons, The leeks, I don't know why leeks is in that list. Anybody here like leeks? Yeah? Oh, wow, okay, I I take that back. 
I remember uh, in college at the cafeteria, they made a leek soup. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Leeks, onions, garlic. Uh, it's almost like the Israelites are in detox. They've got all these cravings. They're going through withdrawal. They're going without these foods and the emotional attachment that they have to them. Food had control over them. Get this. Food had so much control over them that when God called them out and freed them from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, they wanted to go back for seconds. Apparently, eating Egyptian food was worth slavery. Following God in hunger was not worth it. Maybe they were so hungry they weren't thinking logically. I use that excuse sometimes. Isn't this the meaning behind fasting? Haven't, have you ever thought about the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites as fasting on a grand national scale? Getting rid of the old ways and the old customs that they became accustomed to in Egypt after 400 years of slavery, 40 years in the wilderness was like a detox for the people getting it out of their system. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that isn't discussed a whole lot these days. When, when we fast for an amount of time, what we're saying and symbolizing is, God, I need you most. More than the burger on the barbecue, I need you. I had a firecracker burger at Montana's in Toronto, and it was really good. More than the melons and the leeks of Egypt, I need you. The rumble in our tummy reminds us to hunger and thirst after righteousness, like Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount. Fasting is found throughout scripture. You have Esther fasting before she went before the king. Before the apostles selected Paul and Barnabas, they prayed and they fasted. Jesus talks about fasting as a personal spiritual exercise in our relationship with God. It brings clarity. It reminds us of our frailty before God. I don't know if you've ever fasted or you've ever gone without food or you've ever been on a desert, deserted island. You get to day three, you experience those cravings and the clarity it brings and how much we actually rely on food and love food and trust food and put our faith in food. God knows we need food. I'm not advocating that we boycott food because <laughs> I'm looking forward to the cafe. I was up in the kitchen and I smelled it. You should go smell. God knew the Israelites needed food. That's why he provides them with food because God is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Exodus 16 and verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. I just love that. Isn't that, like they're complaining about food. I wish we go back to Egypt. And God says, I'm going to open up the heavens and I'm going to dump some wonder bread right on your head. Watch what I can do. The people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they walk in my law or not, whether they're going to listen or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, 
it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. I love that that contrasting picture. In the evening you'll know, in the morning you'll see. It's like every morning his mercies are new. Great is his faithfulness. Because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? They will know. They will see the glory of the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. God's going to provide bread from heaven for his people. And I I love the picture of this. Jesus takes it and he says, I am the living bread who came down from heaven. You'll never hunger again. He says, I'm the living water. You'll never thirst again. Only Jesus can speak to the longings, our deepest cravings and desires and needs of our soul. He's the only one who can give satisfaction. You can keep going through the kitchen, check the cupboard, check the pantry. Do you do that when you walk through the kitchen? Like, I don't, I don't know if I assume something new is going to be there next time I check. I think about food a lot. I have to admit it to you. I should have looked up that stat, how many times the average person actually thinks about food. That stat's probably out there. But for me, it's in the hundreds. God's going to provide bread from heaven for his people. So the Hebrews in the wilderness were tasked with only collecting enough for that day. And on Friday, they'd collect a double portion. So on Saturday, which was the Sabbath for the people to rest from all their work, they would have enough from Friday to eat on on Saturday. They would not have to go and collect. Our bodies need routines of rhythms and rest. Jesus talks about Sabbath being made for man, not man for Sabbath. And Sabbath was, was put in to help man, to encourage man to take a day off in the week, to rest. That requires faith, doesn't it? Not just to rest from work, but to only take enough bread for the day. Can you imagine going to the grocery store and only buying what you need that day? Having no other provisions in the house, in the freezer, in the cupboard, in the pantry? Just what you need that day. Daily bread. The Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Did you know in Matthew chapter 6, you have the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And then you have recorded Jesus' teaching on fasting. And then you have recorded the passage that Steve spoke on two weeks ago where Jesus says, don't worry. Matthew chapter 6. Let me, let me paraphrase some of this for you. Don't be anxious about your life. What you will eat is not life more than food. Look at the birds of the air. They don't collect food. They don't bring in a harvest. And yet God cares for them. Aren't you more valuable than some sparrows? Verse 31, do not be anxious, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? We answer that question in our house probably 20 times a day. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. I don't believe that Jesus is advocating that you only keep enough food for the day in your pantry. He's telling you not to worry or fret or be anxious about how much is in the pantry. God says he's testing his people with daily bread in the wilderness to see if they'll actually listen to him or not. 
It's like the test of the widow's oil that never stopped flowing until the jars were full. She sold them and paid off her debts. You remember that story? I think it actually happened twice. There were two widows. One of them gave up their last bit of bread for the prophet. It's actually biblical to care for your family, to care for the weary traveler, to care for the widow and the orphan in your community with the food that you have planned and prepped and stewarded and stored. Being generous with your food, not hoarding it because you're worried about tomorrow. That's not gospel living. But the point in the wilderness is, do you desire God more than food? Do you trust God to provide or do you trust in the food to provide the strength that you need? Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, not those who wait in the line at the fast food restaurant. Do you remember those old Gatorade commercials where the athlete was like all worn out and you'd get over to the bench and you'd get that Gatorade and it was just like like a performance-enhancing drug, and they'd get out there and perform at a totally new level. I used to actually believe that. Like, if you take a drink of Gatorade, wow, <laughs> look out, Dwayne Wade, here we come. I'll look to the Lord from whence cometh my help. The glory of the Lord appears in the clouds in the wilderness, and the whole nation, the whole congregation of the people look at the glory of the Lord in the, crowd, in the cloud, including Moses, including Aaron, Exodus 16, 11, the Lord says to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight, you shall eat meat. All God's people said, amen. And in the morning, you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. Do you see this trend? Food reminds us of our provider. Provision points to the provider. We eat food and then we know the goodness of God. One points to the other. I like meat. God gave meat and bread. So let me ask the question, does that mean that we should all be eating meat and bread? (laughs) I agree, Sean. Adam and Eve were probably vegetarians, don't you think? In the garden, chapter one, God gave all the plants, all the fruit, all the veggies. Meat eating may not have been a thing until the time of Noah. You can check out Genesis nine and verse three if you want more on that. Daniel's diet in Babylon was plant-based and he stayed away from the king's meat and from alcohol. John the Baptist, ate a diet of locusts and wild honey. There's one to take. That's me. (laughs) I don't know. We could debate on that, Doug. Jesus probably ate a lot of fish and he drank wine. Now, I'm not here to sell you on a diet plan today. There's enough people trying to do that, trying to get you to jump into their pyramid scheme with Zango juice or something like that. Do you remember Zango juice? Yeah, Zango juice. You remember that. Uh, If you want 15 different diets to try, just scroll through social media this afternoon and you will hear so much conflicting information of how you should only be eating red meat, you shouldn't touch red meat, you should have a plant-based diet. Don't believe those plant-based phonies. It's just going to go back and forth. You'll be more confused than uh, before you woke up this morning. 
I do want to say food is a contextual thing. It's not one size fits all. Adam and Eve were in a perfect garden with perfect fruit and perfect vegetables. Their strawberries, believe it or not, they probably tasted better than Millen's strawberries. Can you believe that? Millen's strawberries are pretty good. Their blueberries, oh, I can't imagine. Noah just got off the ark and so did all the tasty animals. Daniel was in Babylon. John was in the wilderness. Jesus grew up surrounded by fishing communities, did his ministry on the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum. There's nothing unbiblical about having a specific diet that's based on your context. God doesn't prescribe a specific diet that must be followed by everyone in every place in all times. Instead, he gives the Jewish kosher laws as the people are traveling through the wilderness and entering into the promised land and detoxifying from all of the food and all of the customs in Egypt and preparing for when they arrive in a land that their systems aren't quite prepared for, preserving them as they traveled all those miles 40 years through the wilderness. In Ezekiel 4, God gives a bread recipe. It's a funny one. All the ingredients, the measurements, the cooking instructions, the cooking fuel. You might want to look that up in Ezekiel chapter 4. And then he gives Ezekiel a very strict diet of how much of this bread to eat and when to eat it. But Ezekiel is also laying on his side for 390 days as a symbolic prophetic message to God's people. His context was kind of specific. Here's my point. There, there's nothing wrong with a strict diet as long as we understand God's sovereign provision. Any health we have is from his good hand. Sometimes we approach strict diets as a way to control our situation or speak to our health issues, and, and strict diets can help with many health issues. I have family and friends who are in those positions. But sometimes we approach it as a way to secure good health and make certain longevity. But those things aren't guaranteed by a good diet. Didn't we talk about this last week, James chapter 4? Good eating is only possible from a good God. Gratitude and health need to go hand in hand. I've heard gluttony often joked about in the church, in particular with Baptists, because as Baptists, we love our potlucks, we love our food. You know, you've heard that story, I'm sure. Overeating, overindulging, being a slave to food, giving food control. But actually, I'm finding that people who are hyper crazy about a strict diet, maybe a fad diet as a way to change their appearance, lose weight, feel more acceptable by others, they're actually putting food in the same category as the glutton. They're putting food in control. Food quickly becomes our God. Whether we go to food for pleasure, or comfort, or celebration, or we go after food in a strict sense to secure health and longevity, Interesting that the first temptation involved food in the garden. You can have all the fruit of all the trees, just not this one. It's also interesting that Jesus' temptation involved food. Turn these stones into bread. I'd encourage you to 
Put the work in if you've never done it before to determine what a nutritious meal plan is for you. Understanding macronutrients, calorie counting, that can be really helpful. But always with this James 4 perspective, if the Lord wills, we will go, we will do. Plan and prepare meals, but with the mindset that God is, is ultimately in control. Our faith isn't in our food. It's not in a strict diet. It's in the Lord of the harvest. I've met people with a strict whole foods diet who are suffering in their health. And I know that you have too. I know that you also know people who eat whatever they want and get as much sleep and as little exercise as they want. And their routine is so sporadic and their health is better than most. I struggle to wrap my mind around the rhyme, the, the rhyme and reason of all that. Um, Jesus said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out. Okay, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Meat. <laughs> Exodus 16 and verse 13. In the evening... Quail came up and covered the camp. Isn't the Bible just such an interesting book? I remember seeing this one on the flannel graph in Sunday school, and I don't think it was accurate according to the biblical text. Numbers 11 explains this further. Numbers 11 verse 31. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up. It's interesting the language there. A wind from the Lord sprang up. Where'd the wind come from? from the Lord. It brought quail from the sea, probably the Red Sea, and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp and about two cubits above the ground. Two cubits, a cubit's about 18 inches, so you can kind of picture how high this is. The people rose all that day, all that night, all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered 10 homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. Who sent the wind? It carried in all these quail. From what I can understand from reading biblical expositors, the quail were so tired from the wind that was blowing them that they just had to stop and rest when that wind let them down near to the camp. So they're not dead, because if they were dead, the kosher laws meant that they could not eat those birds. So they're tired from their flight. And in some places they're stacked up 36 inches deep of tired, sleepy quail. And then the people walked around and collected all these quail. The person who collected the least collected 10 homers. Does anybody know what a homer is? Not Homer Simpson. Close, Andy. (laughs) A homer apparently is how much you can stack on a donkey. Ten donkey loads of quail. How much quail can you stack on a donkey? Clint, do you know the answer to that one? I feel like, no, never stack quail on a donkey. (laughs) The person who collected the least collected ten donkey loads of quail. Who carried all of the quail in on the wind? It was God. You know, it'd be so easy to say, wow, thank you, wind. What a coincidence 
whether it's Mother Nature or the universe, man, I'm so glad that this just happened. What a dink! It just showed up in front of me. Wow, I must be, I must have been good in a previous life or something like that for this quail to just show up. Isn't that a strange, weird thing? Yeah, um, Elsie and I had a tough day a few months back. We got some news that we weren't expecting, uh, news that we've been waiting on for a while. Elsie had prepared this squash curry soup. She makes a wonderful squash curry soup. She had prepared it earlier. And on the drive home, we were talking to each other and we said, wouldn't it be nice to have just a nice loaf of bread to go with that squash curry soup, like a sourdough bread? Wouldn't that be nice? Ah, but we don't have time. We've got to get the kids, got to get home, got to do whatever. We pulled in the driveway, and there's a package on the front door. You probably already know what it is. One of the neighbors had dropped it off. We went up, we looked at the tag. Hey, just thinking of you, wanted to drop this off, bake this for you, opened it up. A beautiful sourdough loaf of bread. And so we said to one another, what a coincidence. <laughs> the universe is a strange place, isn't it? Can you believe that? What a weird thing. No, we didn't say that. We looked at each other and we said, God is good. He knows what we need. He knows when we need it. And sometimes we even get a little glimpse of how far above and beyond all that we can ask or think or imagine. The providential plan of God. Here's the bread God provided. Verse 13. And in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. Anybody see the bit of snow that was on the ground on the rooftops this morning? Yeah, that's the picture. Verse 15. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? That's the Hebrew term manna, which is what they ended up calling the bread. For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. You know, we all need somebody in our life to point out God's hand of provision in our life. Oh, what was that? Uh, how did that work? No, no, no. That's God taking care of his children. Do you see it? Yeah, you see it. Good. Moses points it out for the people. Moses said, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. I don't think that means the third time to the buffet line. I think that means your capacity. You know how much your family needs. Take as much as you need. That's what the original language is pointing out. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of persons that each one of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so, so they gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. God provided exactly what they needed based on how much they needed. You know what I've always wondered? On the back of uh, food products, it's got the nutrition label, right? All the ingredients and whatnot. I read that as a man who's... <clears throat> a little over 200 pounds. And I'm thinking, okay, there's probably somebody who's reading this at 85 pounds 
and the percentages are the same for them as they are for me. That's kind of off, isn't it? Isn't it incredible that God knew exactly how many calories, how much food, how much sustenance, how much provision that each of these people needed individually? This was a national provision, but it also spoke to each individual person in the nation of Israel and how much they specifically needed for their diet. That just blows me away. How do you even coordinate something like that? It's a miracle. The people of Israel did so. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Verse 19, Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until the morning and it bred worms and stank. Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. The fool said in his heart, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger in which to store my crops. And I'll say to my soul, soul. If somebody starts talking to themselves in the third person, you just got to wonder what's going on there. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, be merry, take your rest. Fool, this very night, your soul will be required of you. And then whose will these things be? Instead, we should be like the little boy who gave up his lunch to the provider who through those small loaves and fish fed thousands. Do not store up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. Is your faith in food? Is the grocery list excessive because of fear for the future? Do you have a freezer full of food that will one day be thrown out because you can't possibly eat it all? Do you know through our benevolent fund, we partner with an organization called Schools Plus in four or five local schools in the area here. Schools Plus helps the kids who fall through the cracks of the system. And one of the ways they do so is to provide food to families in need. And through our benevolent fund, through a team of people in our church, we get to stock those pantries in local schools to help families in our community who are hungry. Do you know there are people in your community who are hungry? We're about to go enjoy cafe. We're going to we're, we're almost there. We're going to pray for the food here soon. And we're going to go enjoy a nice meal. Do you know there are people in your community who won't get that chance today? Maybe through outside circumstances, maybe through their own decisions, but whatever the case might be, we're called to help people. Help people who are hungry. The orphan, the widow, the traveler. Exodus 16, verse 33. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to the habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. That's specific, isn't it? God wants you to know today, and he wants you to remember, that's why they put it in a jar and kept it, that he provided food for his people for 40 years, daily, exactly what they needed, when they needed it, as long as they needed it, until they needed it no more. Until their foot 
cross the border into the promised land. And they needed it no more. Just as food is a sensory experience, so we are invited to experience the goodness of God. Not just cognitively, not just academically, not just something we know from when we attended Sunday school 40 years ago. But he wants us to be able to experience with our senses the goodness of God. Taste and see that God is good. Just as food is necessary for sustaining human life, so Jesus is the bread from heaven, the living water who satisfies our hunger, who satisfies our thirst. Just as Jehovah Jireh provided for his people, so he has provided his only son. Life is not ultimately found in food, it's found in Jesus. Our faith is not in food, it's in Jesus. You know, I think that's the big thrust behind why we say grace before every meal. I, I grew up thinking that was just a tradition that we had to do. And in my household, if the fork hit your mouth before we prayed, you had to pray. So prayer was kind of a punishment. <laughs> I've talked to my parents about that since. I'm okay. I'm doing all right. But we pray before meals as this consistent reminder, this marker, this metric to help us remember who we're ultimately trusting. We live in a culture where food is in abundance. You know, we were reading in our missions booklet that the missions team goes through this week. We're on chapter two and three. And we're reading about how when you come back from a short-term missions experience, some of the things that really affect you is something like going to the grocery store and just seeing how much excessive abundance we have in North America. And it breaks our heart. The menu at Casa Hogar is rice and beans, so I hear. Pretty simple. You go to Superstore. Do you know how many options there are just of rice and beans? You go to Sobeys. Sorry, sorry, Andy. <laughs> we say grace before the meal, not just as a Christian tradition, but as an opportunity to say thank you, to express gratitude, to get our mindset right when it comes to food, that our faith is not in food, our faith is in our heavenly father who provided the food. Doesn't the gospel have that same impact in every area of our life? So would you stand with me as we pray for the food that we're gonna get to enjoy in the cafe? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this food that we get to enjoy. Thank you for the food that's in our pantries, that's in our fridges, that's in our freezers. The food that we have stored up. Would you help us to have a mindset and a heart of generosity that we would give because you've given? Would you help us to have eyes of compassion for the people in our communities who could use a loaf of bread at their door. For those who are going to make baked goods for Christmas in the village, for those who are going to carry some treats to their neighbors, or invite the community in for a meal as we come to Christmas time, as we serve with Schools Plus and local pantries at local schools, God, would you help us to use our food 
for the sake of the gospel, that we would put it to work. God, thank you for the health that we have. Thank you for the life that we have. Thank you for the food, the water, the shelter that you bless us with. Thank you for how you sustain our life. Our life is in the palm of your hands. So God, we place our faith and trust in you. And we say thank you for the meal that we're going to get to enjoy now in the cafe or for those who are headed off, maybe getting together with friends or family or community to enjoy a meal. Would you remind us of where our help comes from? You are our strong tower. In you, we run and take refuge. Thank you, God, that you have hidden us under the shadow of your wing like a mother head brings in her chicks. God, we thank you for your care, for your provision, for your providential plan. And thank you for the life that you've breathed into our lungs and that we get to be living, moving beings. Thank you for these things, God. For all you've done for us, we say thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.